be reading Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 15, and then Hebrews 9, verses 24 to 28. Uh, in, on the, uh, the buck, back of the bulletin, it just goes to verse 27, so you'll just notice me read one extra verse in addition to what is there. Hebrews 9, 11 to 15, and 24 to 28. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. End of verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after comes the judgment. In verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. You may have a seat. Good morning. going to actually start on a bit of a different note here. We're going to get to the sermon in just a minute. But um, this past Tuesday, I got to share with the, the kids at Awana here. And what I shared with them has, has been on my heart throughout the rest of the week. And so I'm actually going to kind of just take a couple minutes here at the beginning to share a short version of what, what I shared with the kids Tuesday night at Awana. Uh, and then we will get to the rest of the sermon this morning. So I, I told the kids a story. It was, it was actually a pretty sad story. I think I surprised some people, including myself. Um, although it worked, it really got their attention. Um, but a story I, I heard several years ago, a true story, uh, about some new parents having a birthday party for their new baby. They invited a bunch of their friends over, and it was winter time, so the front closet filled up with coats pretty quickly. And so they put the rest of their coats on the bed in the master bedroom, which is kind of a common thing. Then it came time to actually celebrate the party, and the party was going to start, and they couldn't find the baby. And the baby had been sleeping on the bed under the pile of coats and was no longer alive. It's a terrible story. It's a true story as far as I understand. 
What it illustrates, though, is what, what I fear often happens to us at this time of year with Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be about the birth of Jesus, right? And we do all this stuff to celebrate Jesus, and yet doesn't, doesn't it sometimes feel like Jesus himself gets too easily lost under a pile of our own stuff? And we end up suffocating the whole reason that we're supposed to be celebrating in the first place. So our family had an experience a few years ago that really kind of opened our eyes to this. And it's because our son, Asher, was born on Christmas Day. Everyone says, oh, how wonderful, you know, and it was. But, you know, we spent Christmas Eve, not at our church's Christmas Eve service, but walking the halls of an empty hospital, counting contractions, we spent Christmas morning in the de- delivery room and, and we spent the next few days in that haze of exhaustion and sleeplessness and vulnerability that comes with having a newborn and got to the end of December. And I remember feeling it, it's like Christmas never happened this month. It felt like we had just never had Christmas. And then I realized how ironic this was because we had had an experience that was closer to the first Christmas than any other December in my life. So we actually had a baby. And it clicked in how what we th- often think about when we hear the word Christmas is really a far cry from what really would have been experienced when Jesus was born. So we often, for example, we think about Christmas as a time of coziness and something that's homey and there's plates of baking within arm's reach. But the first Christmas would have been uncomfortable, painful, exhausting, messy. We often think about Christmas as a family time where we need to be surrounded by those we love. And yet the first Christmas was about Jesus leaving his father's side to come and live with a bunch of strangers. And then, of course, there's all the presents Whereas the first Christmas was all about Jesus losing everything and becoming poor for us. Those are just some of the ways that the birth of of our son almost four years ago helped me see that even just in my own experience, my own heart, the real story of Jesus had slowly been getting buried under a pile of feels, a pile of cultural trappings. And I've come to see those trappings, those traditions, they can be good. They can help us celebrate Jesus, but it's a double-edged sword because they can also be dangerous. They can also begin to obscure and replace and smother the real thing. And so just away from myself that I've tried to discern this is just to ask, could I celebrate Christmas without this thing? Right? Because if I need a Christmas tree to celebrate the birth of Jesus, then it's not about Jesus anymore. If I need presents to celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's not about Jesus anymore. If I need certain music, a certain mood to celebrate the birth of Jesus, then it's not about Jesus anymore. If I need a certain set of feels, certain cultural experience to celebrate the birth of Jesus, then it's not about Jesus anymore. If my Christmas traditions or activities or expectations are making me feel anxious or stressed out or angry or sad, then it's not about Jesus anymore. So all that to say, I just want to encourage us to be really intentional that we really do keep Jesus the main thing. Right, Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world. This time of year, being conformed to this world is easy. It looks like consumerism and materialism and sentimentalism and other things we could add to that list. 
We shouldn't be afraid to really examine how are we celebrating the birth of Jesus? Are any of these ways we're doing that? Are they actually hurting what we're really trying to do? We shouldn't be afraid to let certain things go if we need to, because if it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. So that's more or less the gist of what I shared with the kids on Tuesday night and what's been bouncing around in my heart ever since. And I hope you find that helpful this morning and appropriate to the season. Now, I'm going to pray, and now we're going to get to the sermon this morning. So let's do that together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the living God, that there is a person holding this universe together, and it's you. Thank you that your word is alive. I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would cause it to be alive in our hearts today. Holy Spirit, please empower this experience now of your word being preached and received. May it do its work, its surgical work on our hearts. Please use your word to make us more like you this morning. Please use your word to bring glory to you this morning. Please use your word to do things we don't even know to ask yet. Please, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in October, as we journeyed through the story of Scripture, we came to the story of Moses and the Exodus. We saw there the way that God fulfilled his promises to Abraham by rescuing his people from Egypt, by bringing them to himself in the wilderness, by making Israel his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And there at Mount Sinai, really, which was the, the crux of the story, God entered into covenant with his people. He gave them his Torah, his covenant instruction. And we saw back in October, which if you weren't there, go check it out on the website this week. You can read it or listen to it. And we looked at the covenant with Israel through Moses. We saw back there how a major part of the covenant that God made with Israel, major part of his instruction had to do with with God's presence with his people. The fact that in the tabernacle, God was coming to dwell with his people. And he, he used the same word to talk about what he was doing in the tabernacle as he used to talk about what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. That he was walking among them. So what God was doing with Israel and what God was doing especially in the tabernacle was he was bringing his people a step closer to Eden. But it wasn't all the way back to Eden. Right? And we saw back in October that, that, that there were some major differences. God's presence was restricted to one specific place, a cube-shaped room, the, the most holy place in the tabernacle. And people couldn't just come in and be in the presence of God whenever they wanted. They would die if that happened. God is holy, and they weren't. And so the way, that this, would, the way this whole situation was going to work, of God dwelling in the midst of a sinful people, was the, set, the, the setup of the, of the priests and the sacrifices. So the priests were mediators, right? A mediator, think of the word med, medium, mediators, go-betweens. They, were, they, they would go between God and the people. They represented God to the people. They represented the people to God. And the priests were the only ones allowed in the tabernacle. And inside the most holy place, only one priest, the high priest, and only once a year, and what the priest did was make atonement for the sins of the people, right? They would come in, especially on that day of atonement once a year, the high priest would come in to the most holy place bearing blood 
of an animal to make atonement, to pay for the people's sins. So the point of this whole sacrificial system was that sin deserves death. And if God is going to come and be close to his people, that would naturally mean that judgment is going to fall on them. Because God's holy. They're not. He's going to come be close to them. Judgment for their sin is going to happen. And a lot of people are going to die. Unless something else dies in their place. And that's what happened in the tabernacle all the time. Every day the priests Essentially, butchers making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, killing animals constantly to pay for the sins of the people so that they wouldn't die, so that God could actually dwell among them. But one of the things we see in this whole system is that the atonement, the, the, the atoning effect of, of the sacrifices, they never lasted for very long, right? Because there's always more sin. They would, they would always sin again. So there was always another sacrifice to make. Another animal always needed to die. The priests never finished their work. They were never done. According to, to the author of the book of Hebrews, which you just read from, th this, this fact that there was always more sacrifices, it was proof that, that the, the animal sacrifices never actually took away anybody's sin. So Hebrews chapter 10 which we didn't read just after what we read. Hebrews chapter 10, verse one to four says this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? Hear what he's saying, right? If these sacrifices really took away sin, you wouldn't need to keep offering them. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 10 of, of Hebrews 10 says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Right? The fact that these sacrifices needed to keep happening showed that they never really dealt with sin. They never really dealt with the real problem. And, and the writer of Hebrews makes a point in, in, in Hebrews 10 verse 1 is that this is because the covenant that God made with Moses, with its instruction, with its sacrificial system, with its worship at the tabernacle, it, it was never meant to be the real thing. That's what he says, right? The law has but a shadow of the good things to come. It was never meant to be the real solution to sin. It was just a shadow stretching out from and pointing to the real solution to our sin. And we don't actually have to wait till the New Testament to find this out. That, that, the, that, that the law as it stood, the covenant was never really the permanent solution to sin. Because we find that out just in the Old Testament. Right before the exile into Babylon through the prophet Jeremiah, God made a promise. That there was coming a new covenant that was finally going to deal with our sins. So Jeremiah 31 verse 31 and following very crucial piece of scripture. Behold, the days are coming, declares 
Yahweh, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Do you hear what God promises there? Again, remember, this is just before the exile into Babylon, just before the house comes crashing down. And God says, there's a new covenant coming. It's going to fix everything that's broken. It's going to do everything that this first covenant with Moses couldn't do. God's instruction is going to be written on people's hearts instead of just out there on tablets of stone. God's truth is going to be inside of his people. They're going to be transformed from the inside out. And so because of that, because they're going to be transformed, they're not going to break the covenant like they did in the old covenant again and again. And it's not just going to be a few people that, that experience this, this transformation on the inside. That's what the Lord said. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Right? In the Mosaic covenant, you just got born into it. and You grew up as a part of this covenant, but you might not ever really know God. And it's going to be different in this new covenant. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest, every member of this new covenant will be someone who actually, truly knows God, who actually, truly has experienced this inner transformation. And then finally, as he says, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. This new covenant that God promised is going to finally deal with the real problem. The real problem, right? We've seen this as we've talked about the story of scripture. The real problem that a global flood can't fix. The real problem that all the promises and threats in the old covenant can't fix. The problem of sin. And in the new covenant, with this inner transformation, something is going to happen that's going to mean that their sin it will finally be forgiven. I will remember their sin no more. There's going to be some decisive once and for all event that deals with sin permanently. Something better than the blood of bulls and goats is coming. The real thing is coming. So that's all, by the way, everything I've talked about up to now is all review. We touched on all of this before. This is the promise on the books. And we know this, this new covenant didn't come right away, right? 600 years passed after God made this promise. And the people waited, waited to be forgiven, waited, waited, waited. And then it happened, right? An ordinary young girl engaged to be married to an ordinary guy. And he finds out she's pregnant. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. <sighs> 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua. For he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Do you hear what the angel is saying? Joseph, that baby in your fiance's womb, he's the one who's going to save his people from their sins. He's the one who's going to bring real forgiveness. He's the one who's going to bring this new covenant that will finally save his people from their sins. And that's what we get to celebrate in the rest of our message this morning is how Jesus fulfilled the words of the angel, how Jesus saves us from our sins, how Jesus is the real thing that the covenant with Moses was only a shadow of. And so we're going to see this in two main ways. The first way we're going to see is that Jesus is the real sacrifice for our sins. Right? We've talked about this, right? The old covenant, it's hundreds of thousands of sacrifices offered over and over and over, never really taking away sin, was just a shadow cast by the real thing, Jesus Christ who on the cross offered himself up as the real and the true and the permanent sacrifice for our sin once and for all. Now we've sang about this truth already this morning as we sang about Jesus being the lamb of God. I don't know what comes to your mind when, when you hear that. Why, why is Jesus called the lamb of God, right? This is how we're introduced to Jesus in person in the gospel of John. When, when John the Baptist sees him for the first time, he says, behold, the lamb of of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's no confusion there to the people that would have heard this and understood this because Jewish people, they knew how lambs took away your sin. Lambs take away sin by dying as a sacrifice for you. It started back in the Exodus, right? Lambs take away sin when, when they die instead of your firstborn son. Lambs take away sin when they die as a sacrifice for you. And so Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is going to die as a sacrifice for our sins. We know that the sacrificial lambs had to be perfect, without blemish, and so is Jesus. Jesus had no sins of his own that had to be paid for. Jesus was the first man who actually could die for another, right? I can't die for someone else because I got my own sins I have to die for. But Jesus is the first man who actually can die for someone else because he's perfect. And because he's also God, he can die for not just one person, but for all of his people. He can take away the sins of the world. And that's what he did when he went to the cross. He sacrificed himself for our sins once and for all. And it's this once aspect that we need to grab onto this morning. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Hebrews 7.27, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. We saw this, the passage in our, in our bulletin that Jason read, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 26, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
See the point? And here's, here's the sad thing. This might feel obvious to us because we're not used to what a revolutionary idea this was to, to the first readers, for example, of the book of Hebrews, people that were used to the sacrificial system. They were just used, this is how it worked. I committed this specific sin, go make a sacrifice. It's this time on the calendar, go make a sacrifice. Constant, constant, repeated sacrifices over and over again. The temple was this bloody place with animal carcasses everywhere, the smell of burnt flesh and blood in the air, a never-ending cycle of death. And then comes Jesus, and he dies once, and all of the sins of his people completely paid for, past, present, and future. Completely revolutionary idea. Hebrews 1.3 says, after making purification for sins, he sat down. Do you know what an amazing idea that is? The priests in the old covenant could never sit down. Right? There's no chairs in the temple or the tabernacle because there's always another sacrifice to make. There's always another animal to kill. There's always more blood to be shed. But Jesus made purification for sins. And he's the first one who then can sit down because his work is complete. Jesus paid it all. So this is how it happens. This is how Jesus saves his people from their sins. Like the angel said, he dies for them. He takes their place on the cross. God pours out his wrath on Jesus instead of us. He takes our judgment and this is how the new covenant comes to us, that our sins are forgiven in full. So do you see now, see what's going on in those words that we read every month as we celebrate the Lord's table is Jesus, the night before he died, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant with its perfect and full forgiveness for sins comes through the blood of Jesus, which pays for our sins completely. So there's this idea, maybe you have had it or at times that in the old covenant, they had sacrifices, right? The old covenant, Mosaic covenant, constant sacrifices. And in the new covenant, we, we don't have sacrifices anymore. That's not true. In the new covenant, we had one sacrifice and it was enough. God accepted it, and we don't need any more. Jesus paid it all. There's a second idea tied up in here, which we've heard hints of already. It's actually the title of the message this morning, is that not only is Jesus the truer and the better sacrifice, but Jesus is the truer and the better high priest. So once again, maybe there's an idea, right? In the old covenant, they had high priests. In the new covenant, we don't need priests anymore. That's not true. It's just that in the new covenant, we have one high priest and we don't need anybody else. Because Jesus is enough for all of us forever. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save, listen to these words, save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen to this. If you're a member of the new covenant, you have a high priest. 
He sacrificed himself for you. And now he's living today to make sure that you get the benefits of that sacrifice. Right? In the old covenant, when the animal would be sacrificed on the day of atonement, the high priest would take the blood into the presence of God on behalf of the people. And Jesus did the very same thing. Jesus entered into God's presence in heaven where he remains even today, even right now, even at this moment right now. That's where Jesus is in the presence of God representing you. We read that in verse 24 on your bulletin, right? Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Right now, as you and I speak, there is a man in heaven representing you before the presence of God. Right now, interceding for you praying for you, asking the Father to give you what he died for. And when we get this and when we believe this, it can't help but have a powerful effect on our souls. It can't help but give us an experience of peace and rest and comfort and safety and confidence when we get that we have a perfect sacrifice and we have a perfect high priest. Listen to these words from a hymn you might not be familiar with. Charles Wesley wrote this song celebrating the sacrifice and the priesthood of Christ and what it means for us today. What it means for someone who's struggling with a guilty conscience. Listen to these words that he wrote. Arise, my soul, arise. Do you hear who he's talking to? He's talking to himself. Shake off thy guilty fears. Stop being afraid. Stop feeling guilty, he's saying. Why? The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race, and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, they strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. The father hears him pray, his dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his son. His spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. And so verse five, my God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence, I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. Do you see it? Do you feel it? 
forgiveness and confidence before God, not because you've done the right things, not because you're nailing it in life, but because Jesus was nailed to a cross for you and God forgives your sins for his sake. In my experience, many, many Christians struggle to really accept this. In my experience, many, many Christians struggle to live in this experience. In my experience, many Christians feel like it's a sign of spiritual maturity to walk around with a feeling all the time of, of what I've heard one author call low-grade guilt. Maybe you're familiar with this idea. That it's somehow holy to just kind of feel a little bit guilty all the time. To just always feel just a little bit ashamed for all the things that you don't do right. Slightly guilty for the things that you've done wrong. And just to carry around this low-grade guilt like ankle weights into every part of your Christian life. But please hear this this morning. The Son of God was not sacrificed in your place so that you could walk around feeling guilty the rest of your life. Your sins are paid for. And if you've confessed your sins to the Lord and received his forgiveness, listen to this, you have nothing to feel guilty for. Yeah, but what about what I did? Nailed to the cross, paid for by the blood of Christ. Yeah, but what about nailed to the cross, paid for by the blood of Christ. Yeah, but what about nailed to the cross, paid for by the blood of Christ. You have nothing to feel guilty for. Doesn't that sound revolutionary? But that's just the gospel. That's just what we believe as Christians. That, that's just it, right? And yet, isn't it true? This most basic truth is the one that we have the hardest time believing. And right, right about now, stuff starts to spin in our minds. Yeah, but I thought I'm supposed to care about sin, you know, to try to sin less. I'm supposed to try to work hard to be more like Jesus. Of course you are. We need to put our sin to death. The Bible tells us that very clearly. But that can only happen when we start by recognizing that our sin's been paid for and we're forgiven. That only happens, listen to this, when we start off with a clear conscience. What gives you a clear conscience? Is it knowing you haven't done anything wrong? Or is it knowing that Jesus paid for everything that you've done wrong? Right? That's what the, what the Bible says. That's where a clear conscience comes from. We see that in, in, in one of the passages in Hebrews that we read. Or maybe I'm, it's, it's, it's there. Hebrews, read chapter 7 to 9. There's so much there. I had to miss, skip a lot out this morning. A clear conscience comes through the blood of Jesus. We start with a clear conscience through Christ. We start off guilt-free because of the blood of Jesus. And from that position, then we work to fight against our sin. But we don't get to a guilt-free feeling when we have a good week where we didn't commit that sin that we struggle with and we read our Bible every day and then we feel great about ourselves. That's basically like living under the law. We start off our weeks or we get to the end. Maybe you've had a week like this. Maybe you have not had a great week. Maybe you've sinned again and again and again. Maybe you didn't touch your Bible. Maybe you didn't pray all week. Maybe you feel like a failure. Right now, today, you can and should have a guilt-free, clear conscience before God because Jesus paid for absolutely everything you did this week. It's nailed to the cross. God's not holding it against you. Doesn't that sound radical? But that's just the gospel. That's just what we need to believe. And we start from that position. 
And then from that position, we work to kill off this sin that's been paid for. Listen to how Hebrews 10 puts it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, which he opened through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Not because we've done everything good. No, but because we have a great high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. There it is. And our bodies washed with pure water. Talking about baptism probably. And then listen to what he goes on to say. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see that? Start with the clear conscience through the blood of Jesus. And then meet together. Then go to church. Then stir up one another to love and good works. But it starts with knowing that Jesus paid it all, and we have nothing to feel guilty about. This is the new covenant, and this is what we live in. So if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, the most practical thing that you can do in terms of living out this truth in the next week of your life and beyond is to just believe that Jesus paid it all. To really believe that if you've confessed your sin to God, that God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf and you have nothing to feel guilty about. And so from that spot, we go and we put our sin to death and we press into the Lord. The most practical thing for us is to just really believe that we have a high priest before the Father, that none of what Jesus did can ever be forgotten, that none of God's promises to us are ever going to be forgotten, that Jesus is making sure today that we get everything that he died to give us. I just know I need to be reminded of this. I, I've said to someone before, I have to read the Bible every day so that I know, that I remember, that I don't have to read the Bible every day to be accepted by God. Do you hear that? I have to read the Bible every day to be reminded that it's not by reading the Bible, but it's through grace, through faith, through the death of Jesus that I'm accepted in God's sight. We just have to remind ourselves about this again and again and again. And so let's do that. Let's draw near to God today. Ask God for this full assurance of faith. Because trust me, when you, if this clicks in just even a little bit deeper in your soul today, if you just receive the grace of Jesus in a fresh way, you're going to find so many practical differences that flesh out from that. It is so transforming to live in the freedom of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, this could be yours. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So please, if, you, if you're not sure that you actually know Jesus, if you're not sure that he actually did pay for your sins, don't leave today without talking to some, me or someone else. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song that just so wonderfully ties us together. And let's ask God today for this full assurance of faith that Jesus really did pay it all. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the new covenant. We thank you for sending Jesus who has saved his people, us. 
from their sins. And so Jesus, I pray that you would help each of us here to to really believe this. I pray you'd silence the doubt that's bouncing around in the back of many of our minds, I'm sure, in these moments. Doubting whether this is really true. Doubting whether this is really for us. Doubting whether we can really receive news this good. Oh God, would you help us to believe this? Would you help us to walk as free people with the burdens lifted from our backs because we are reconciled to you. We have peace with you through Jesus, not through us. Would you help us, Lord, as your people to walk in this freedom? And if we don't know you, God, don't let us, don't let us go far until we believe this. Would you help us, Lord, to show this grace to others in our life who need it? Show this grace to each other. Transform us, Lord, by the gospel, I pray. Help us to believe. Amen.